Interact helps Canadians access funds their way. Products like Interact Debit and Interact eTransfer have made Money Mobile taking it from the confines of traditional banking and ushering it into the digital age. As consumers adapt to new technology, so does Interact. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quality Content on the 2020 Network presented by Interact. I'm your host, Alex Patterson. I'm willing to bet that you've seen a Calm Fjord movie. Maybe you didn't know it at the time. Maybe that's not what brought you to the theater in the first place. But there are very few working actors today that have built the kind of, hey, that guy, careers like Calm Fjord. In fact, if you tally up the total box office take for his movies, you approach the $2 billion mark worldwide. And that, that's a very exclusive club. And Colm enjoys membership there because of his enthusiasm and zeal for acting in all its forms. He'll play the frost giant king in Marvel's Thor while at the same time turning in an iconic performance as King Lear. He'll play beleaguered U.S. first gentleman Henry Taylor on 24, while also spending time channeling Canada's own zeitgeisty Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau. And that cross-border mix is emblematic of the man himself. Born in Boston, raised in Windsor and St. Catharines, Colm is as celebrated a Canadian as they come. He's a member of the Order of Canada, a recipient of the Earl Grey Award from the Canadian Screen Awards, and this April will be the recipient of the Governor General Performing Arts Award for Lifetime Achievement in Film. Colm joined me from his home in Stratford, where we talked about growing up in southwestern Ontario, some memories from his more iconic roles, and what it means to be in service to a larger artistic vision. He was an utter delight to speak to. I think you'll enjoy it. And joining me on the line from Stratford, it's Colm Fjord. Colm, hi. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very uh, excited to be talking to you today. You have popped up in so many of my favorite movies and TV shows and um, pieces of entertainment, Canadian or otherwise, over the years. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to chat with you today. Excellent. The reason that we are chatting is you are a recipient of uh, this year's um, 2019 Lifetime Artistic Achievement Award at the Governor General Performing Arts Awards. And so I will start with very simply saying, congratulations, sir. Thank you very much. As someone who has had the career that you have had uh, and it has spanned uh, the number of years it has had, what does this award mean for you? Because when you say lifetime achievement, it, it feels like a cap on a career, but I don't think you show any signs of slowing down. Well, I thought that when one was offered this, it, it was all over. It was basically a nice way of saying goodbye. Please stop. You're done now. Um, but <laughs> it, was, it, you know, it was more of a request than it was an yeah, honor. It's yeah, it's like, I think we've seen enough. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, you know, listen, it's it's a wonderful thing. I, I didn't think I was stopping, so I'm, 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 I'm hoping that it's a marker between, say, a second act and a third act. I think that sounds about right. And um, you have been sort of welcomed into sort of the Canadian media family just through your your sheer volume of work over the years. But you're actually, you were born in Boston. Um, yeah. So I want to go back to sort of early days. Um, being born in Boston, do you still, do you feel an affinity for that city at all? Well, obviously sentimentally, but not actual, you know, recalling of it because the moment we were there, 
Uh, I don't think my mother liked the apartment my father had while he was studying radiology. And uh, we moved back to Dublin and waited for him to get a job, in, uh, which he did in Ottawa. And so we, you know, we landed in Montreal and moved to Ottawa and then from Ottawa to Windsor. So it's been some time. There was one moment where I was very uh, filled with a kind of nostalgia for it. And you'll, you'll know how long ago it was when I describe what was happening. <coughs> Pardon me, I was flying in, flying into Boston. To, to go up to Bangor, uh, Maine, to shoot something as part of a Stephen King show I was doing. And because somebody on the plane had recognized something or mistook me for an Air Canada pilot, which is what mostly happens to me, <laughs> I was invited into the cockpit for the landing. <laughs> oh, no. And I sat in, uh, on the jump seat um, for, uh, for the landing into Boston. And that was actually really cool. I thought, you know what, it is a kind of coming home, even though I recognize none of it. Yeah, um, and, and definitely in a different era, like you said. <laughs> yeah, come on into the cockpit, sit down and, and, and grab a coffee and l- let's land the plane, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> so, so like he said, so you're, you um, grew up, I guess, in, in, in Windsor. Uh, you went to Ridley College in, in St. Catharines. Um, in an area of southwestern Ontario, I think that, that looked a lot different then than it does now. Um, what are your memories of, of sort of that period of your life? Well, you know, Windsor was Windsor was great. I mean, we did, uh, my parents had this notion because they just arrived in Canada that maybe we should send the kids to French school at least part of the time. So we had some smattering of an understanding that it was a bilingual country. And, you know, my my dad always thought, well, if you've worked for the government, you know, you need to know some French. So that'd be handy. And uh, because they're Irish, you know, they, they were they were used to this notion of bilingualism because you had to learn Irish, which, you know, Gaelic is impenetrable at the best of times. And so they they were used to the idea and thought nothing of sending us to the schools there. And then, you know, growing up even, you know, being at Ridley, but then back and forth to to Windsor and working there. You know, I worked on the line at Chrysler. I worked at the Allied Chemical Plant, trying to make a little money for the summers, and it was it was great. You know, it was and it's a, it was a, it was a lovely place to be if you were young and and foolish, and and, and I was both. I. I was interested in diving and all things Jacques Cousteau. Now, the Detroit River is not exactly where Cousteau was. Uh, no, you'd uh, find some was, different life yeah, forms. But, but I convinced river. my parents that I needed a wetsuit like, uh, like Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate. And, you know, one Christmas, there I was floating in an ice hole. <laughs> I think it's just super ridiculous. But, but I, I did fancy the, the life of the oceanographer in the early days. So then from, from fond memories of St. Clair River and Detroit River and all that. So from, from obviously those dreams of, of, you know, oceanography and, uh, and, and that part of your life to ending up in, in Stratford and, and getting into, um, Canada's sort of burgeoning stage, uh, stage arts. How did that happen? What was that? What was that leap like for you? I had done a lot of plays at high school. And and had some very good teachers and mentors who, you know, who as well as teaching classes would be directing the plays, either intramural plays or external and school plays. The Simpson Sears Drama Festival was a thing back then. And, you know, we'd, we'd cobble together a show. And so by the end of my time at Ridley, I'd done a fair bit of this stuff. And looking forward, you know, I just wasn't... I wasn't exceptional uh, in any regard, 
uh, in terms of choosing a way to go through for university, which, of course, my parents very much expected I would do, been as how they'd invested in me and all. And, you know, I dutifully applied to some schools, but I, I, I wasn't really, you know, excited about going and didn't know what I would study once I got there. But at the same time, uh, I was encouraged to audition for the National Theater School. And so I did that and was accepted there and took that acceptance as, you know, some kind of endorsement. At least my parents thought so, too. You know, well, we don't know anything about this, and he clearly doesn't know anything about this, but maybe they do, and he can go and figure it out. And so, you know, I went off to craft school in Montreal for three years, and, you know, I've been doing it ever since. The thing that always interests me of of um, people who you talk to that did theater in high school um, – a lot of people do it because it was the social thing to do. Um, you know, you it was a group of friends. It was a sort of a community. Um, but not much more higher aspirations beyond that. So, it, Can you hang it, on a second? For sure. There's somebody, hang on. I've got to get rid of somebody. Hello. Hi there. <laughs> Sorry. That was just ridiculous. This is Canada, right? So yes. that was, I just did a film in Toronto. And uh, it's a wonderful film called, well, at the moment it's called Darren or Sugar Daddy. It's by an extraordinary young woman named Kelly McCormick who wrote it and is starring and is producing, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they dutifully paid my Los Angeles people and all that. But because they're Los Angeles people, they need a little explaining. And, of course, one had to say, look, HST, it's a thing. <laughs> a kid just showed up at the door and said, hi, I'm from the Sugar Daddy production office, and, and, and I have this check for you, for the HST. It was your HST remittance <laughs> check. That's Stratford. <laughs> He's just driven from Toronto. He's coming to collect somebody else to go shoot the movie. And they thought, just hand him the check, because it's Canada. I, I love this. That's I the, just love this. That, that's a, that's a, I, I know the people at Historica Canada actually take pitches for heritage minutes uh i feel like you could pitch that <laughs> it's like a... i've done a heritage minute that's why i'm fully you know full-on canadian i did i did uh flanders fields that's why right. you McCray. did do flanders fields i did yeah there's there's no canadian icon i will not have done <laughs> okay well so that's a good transition because you were on the um you're on george strombolopolis's show and gave an, an all-time iconic line where you compared yourself you said that you were the old, white, bald guy, Samuel L. Jackson, um, which first off had me laughing. Uh, and second off, but I, I think the comparison is rather apt because, I mean, your IMDb is as long as my arm. Um, you work a lot. You take on a <laughs> lot of projects. and But the quality is always there. So I guess the, the question is, like, you know, why do as many projects as you do? Like, why work as often as you work? Well, I mean, if only I could get paid what Sam Jackson gets paid. Um, I've done two. I've done two with him, actually. I'm looking for my third. We did Red Violin and The Caveman's Valentine. I'm waiting for my third. I've just finished my third Richard Dreyfus picture. You know, you know, you've got to keep at these things, and there's a chance sooner or later you might get one right. Um, I say yes when it interests me, when when the job looks like it'll be fun, when the people are good, and. You know, I have to say, on balance, that's most of the time. I, I, I rarely do. My wife, Donna, who's a director, is very insistent that it's bad for you to do things that you really don't want to do. And so she has been very careful with us and, and how we, we make our choices and, and strongly suggests that 
you only do what you want to do. I'm lucky in that the things that I've been asked to do or that I'm auditioning for and begging to do are, are, are rewarding. They're, they're fun. And it would be a missed opportunity not to do it. I, I never fail to learn something. And so it's, it's that and my curiosity, I suppose, that, that, that engages me. And so as the list goes on, it looks like I am the guy who's never said no. I, 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 I'm, I'm much less promiscuous than that, I assure you. I actually don't think it's, it's that you never say no. I just think that your career um, is, is very impressive in terms of not only the, the quantity, but also the quality. And I think that the thing that fascinates me the most is your mix between stage and screen. Um, and I know that's important to some actors. It seems very important to you. And I'm almost wondering, is there a formula for you at all in terms of dividing between stage time and screen time? Um, I don't know. Glenn Gould was, was quoted as saying that, you know, for every, you know, hour that you spent in the company of other people or percentage of your time you spent in the company of other people, you had to spend a, 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 another very strict percentage by yourself. And I suspect there's some kind of ratio uh, involved in, in this that, you know, after a certain time doing the work that I very much enjoy in film and television, uh, you know, Sometimes it's not as grueling or as demanding. Sometimes it is, but as Shakespeare, you know, and, and I've been very, very lucky so that I know what the high points in great classical drama are from Moliere to Shakespeare to Chekhov, you name it. So I know good writing when I see it and, uh, and how much easier that is to act than bad. Uh, occasionally you need to to reacquaint yourself with something so undeniably good and hard that it it forces you to reassess where you're at. That's really interesting. I think that helps. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that at a certain point you say, look, this has been fun. I've been you know, a dozen different characters in a dozen different places. That's fun. Um, have I lost touch with the sustained investment in intellectual rigor, the physical stamina, vocally, etc., to be able to get through uh, a play, play, where I'm the only thing that controls pretty much the experience that an audience has. Whereas you relinquish that responsibility in film. It's fantastic. And I, I've often said that, you know, theater is all about sending out, and cinema is all about allowing in. And because they're, they seem to be radically different uh, and paradoxical, uh, I find that they cross-pollinate beautifully. And the simplicity that I learned in one, I take to the other. And the, the, the technique that I learned rigorously in the theater, I can take then and apply to cameras and lights and, and the way all that works and to, to my advantage. Is there a role that you find that you're most identified with that when you're talking to people and um, that they say that uh, they bring up the most to you when they're when they talk to you? Well, it depends how often the hockey gets canceled on CBC <laughs> because they, they really this. I wish I was kidding. They, they, they then they chuck on Trudeau, right? Right. Um, right. And and so I've got a lot of that. Um, and. Occasionally, you know, the, the Glenn Gould from 32 Short Films about Gould, depends how old people are, right? You, you, you know you're getting the Lifetime Achievement Award when, when people come up to you young, you know, 
youngish people say used to say to me, "Oh, my mum, my mum loves your work," <laughs> and now it's, it's my grandmother thinks you're awesome. And you just, you mark those periods in your life where, ah, right, your grandmother. Yeah, of course. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, yes. Sure, I I knew it. I, I mean, I am looking at my notes here, though, and I have to say that, yeah, my mom does love your work. I'm sorry. I have to say that. I, and, and, you, and you are a gentleman of a certain age, so let's face it, right? Uh, I, was just, I just bumped into uh, um, an artist down the town here in Stratford before we, we started to speak, and, uh, you know, we were both unshaven. And mine, my, his was trimmed rather, rather, it was Morris Panitch, who was a, was a brilliant artist. And he looked very handsome and rather dashing. And I looked like every sad middle-aged guy who thinks a goatee will fix stuff. And, <laughs> and, and look, I, 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 I preface this by saying I wore it for a role. And I've still got it until the movie actually finishes shooting. Uh, um, but, but I was playing, and this is what was so exciting, an old bald guy with a goatee, which made it so much simpler for me. Um, and, and I could then allow the real elegance of my acting to, to just sort of allow the camera in and allow that acting to leak out. Because I looked like the balding old goat that, you know, who, who gets along with your grandmother. And, you know, there's something sad about it, but wonderfully liberating. I'm going to mark this down that, that goatees don't fix things. I, this is it's good well, advice, you, you actually, I mean? to take I, away. I, think, wow, I do. I, really no, cool I, I see yeah. somebody else do it, and I go, oh, dude, you know that this is like a slippered pantaloon time, right? <laughs> you're, you're moving it. You think that you're still virile, and that the fact that you can grow wiry gray hair proves that. But it, it's just kind of like creepy. Well, uh, but okay, so but it, I mean, we're, as, as long as we're talking about transformation and physical transformation, and paired with the number of sort of Canadian icons that you have had the the privilege of playing over the course of your career, um, and using Trudeau as a template. I mean, Trudeau was a was a mini series. I feel like we don't do mini series anymore. I feel like that doesn't happen a lot, and I think that's maybe a function of sort of the streaming era that we're in. But I'm wondering, from your perspective, is there a moment or a story in Canadian either political history or history that you think is is ripe for the telling, whether it's a movie or a, a limited series or, or whatever. Like, what what ground haven't we gone over that you would like to have a role in? Oh golly, you know, I mean, here's here's where one comes crashing up against one's inadequacies. I mean, I'm not a very creative person. Uh, if 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 I if I were, I'd be writing and directing my own stuff. And as I live with a director, I, I know just how inadequate I really am. Um, I couldn't direct a two-car funeral, so it, it's it's difficult for me to suggest things. I always see myself as a as a, a color on the the director's and the author's palette, waiting to be put to use. And you know, I judge my my skill set based on my flexibility, my 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 ability to go in and do precisely what they want and add exactly that color. Um, there, are, there are whole bunches of things out there that could be done um, from great Canadian novels that, that, are, that are there that, you know, that producers have in passing said, you know, we should really do this or we should do that. And of course, it costs tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars of other people's money to do these things. That's why they're not happening in the same way. You know, if Netflix doesn't want to give you $40 million to help pay for it, it's very likely not going to happen. So 
I, I, you know, I mean, this is a lonely place to be, and probably uh, maybe this this award does mark the end. Um, I tend to be someone who who sits and is on standby. What what have you got? What do you need? Where do I fit? And uh, as I said for Darren, why I was so happy to fit was because it was something that they needed a middle aged guy, slightly pathetically, you know, hirsute. to slot in to make the story work. And I thought, ah, this is exactly where I need to be. And these are, you know, these are movies made for modest sums of money that will hopefully have, you know, a reasonably wide viewership because they're not costing, a, you know, the earth. So, you know, I'm dodging your question because I have no real answers, uh, except that, you know, I, I raised the flag of being useful. I, but actually, that I think that actually gets at maybe even a more interesting question, which is, you know, that idea of being useful and helpful and um, contributing to uh, a broader artistic vision that feels very Canadian to me. And so I'm wondering, you know, if growing up in Canada, if you feel that that has sort of shaped those choices that you make and sort of that that ethos that you bring to no your work. No question, no question. I mean, I am very, I'm very lucky to have been born in Boston because my my parents were trying to, you know, figure out what they were doing, getting off the boat in New York, being married there, and me arriving in Boston, us arriving in Ottawa, and then Windsor and beyond. But, you know, young enough to, to be essentially Canadian. The, the advantage I have is that I can cross the border and go to Los Angeles and New York and say, I came up under a rock. You don't know me. But I've done this stuff, and I might be useful for you. But once I've done that for you, I'm going home. I'm going to go and I'm going to take either the time that your show has uh, now subsidized and give it to something Canadian. I'm either going to do it for very little or for nothing or, you know, I will, I will make myself available. There is something about the Canadian point of view, my immigrant family's point of view, uh, gratitude, um, I, I am on the board of a thing called Real Canada, and we get Canadian film into high schools and into, you know, uh, uh, screenings for new Canadians. And we are big for National Canadian Film Day, which this year is April 17th. And, you know, in the sesquicentennial, we had 1,800 screenings of Canadian films in Canada and around the world. So there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of material. Um, but there is that overarching thing about telling our stories, giving back, um, desiring a better country, right? I'm an officer of the Order of Canada, something of which I'm immensely proud um, and that I feel I now have to earn. Uh, so, you know, you get lunch at Rideau Hall, you, you think, well, okay, I mean, I better get out there and do something for this. And part of that is saying, look, I've been very lucky. I've had an extraordinary career. I've done everything from art films to, to bleak films for nothing, to blockbusters, to Shakespeare, to modern plays, comedies, tragedies, Broadway, you name it. And, and here I am, you know, raising my children in Canada and urging them to become great citizens, to give back, to engage, and to be the very best Canadians they can be. So I guess it's partly nature and partly nurture. I can think of very few places better to end it than there. So I, I, Mr. Fuhrer, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today. Um, congratulations again on, on this, this lifetime achievement award, as you said, it's, 
not just film, it's TV, it's stage, it's it's the the contributions that you've made to not only Canadian media here at home, but also to our Canadian brand abroad have, have been fantastic. So, and, and thank you very much for engaging with us and Canadian creators. It, it means a lot. Thank you so much for asking. It's uh, They say it's humbling, and it truly is. One feels a part of something bigger, and uh, I am very proud to be a part of something bigger. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Alex. Quality content is hosted by me, Alex Patterson. My producer today was Sarah Turnbull, and my editor was our new team member, Olivia Levesque. The 2020 Network is presented by Interact. It is a production of Canada 2020, Canada's leading independent progressive think tank. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps more curious and engaged listeners like yourselves find us online. As well, if you'd like to give us some feedback on how we're doing, what you like, what you don't like, new episode or guest ideas, we are listening. You can follow me at Alex G. Patterson on Twitter or send me an email at alexcanada2020.ca. Next, a few organizational announcements. First and foremost, Canada 2020 has launched a new initiative called No Second Chances, where we take a look at the rise and fall of Canada's 12 female first ministers. That is right, there have only ever been 12 in Canadian history. The project's centerpiece is a new limited podcast series and part three, part three, entitled Making a Run for It, is out today. You can subscribe to No Second Chances wherever you get your podcasts and please catch up if you haven't listened from the start. It's a truly special project for us and an important conversation for 2019. Next, if you are in Ottawa on April 30th, Canada 2020 will be hosting the North American Book Launch event for The Art of Diplomacy, strengthening the Canada-US relationship in times of uncertainty. It's the new political memoir from Bruce and Vicki Heyman. Bruce served as U.S. Ambassador to Canada during the Obama administration and has been a guest on quality content before. We're excited to have them both back, so please grab your tickets at canada2020.ca. Finally, my weekly reminder for you to subscribe to the Canada 2020 mailing list. We have a few other special events and projects coming up where I guarantee you will want to be first in the know. So go to canada2020.ca and make sure you're subscribed. All right, that's it for me. Until next time. The age of the personal check is coming to a close. While tools such as Interact eTransfer have largely taken their place for personal use, many businesses are still reliant on checks. In fact, 54% of businesses believe they are spending too much time on payment processing. What will it take for companies to finally ditch the check? Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.